Jesus. Amen. He is the Lord of all. Hallelujah. I'm really going to message for my title. A title for my message. I've got a message for my title. This is very, very loud on the stage. Can you take the monitors down a little bit, please? Freaks me out when I, can't, when I can hear myself better than I can hear you, you know. You're supposed to hear me, not me. <laughs> um, whenever anybody thinks about Ezekiel, we usually think about Ezekiel 37, you know, the Valley of the Dry Bones. And I've heard lots of messages preached on the Valley of the Dry Bones. But you know what? The Valley of the Dry Bones never happened. You know that? The Valley of Dry Bones didn't happen. That was a vision. Ezekiel did not perform the miracle of raising the bones in the valley. In fact, Ezekiel didn't perform any miracle. Do you know Ezekiel didn't perform one miracle throughout his whole life? So what else can one say about Ezekiel? I mean, what is there to say? Here we are, you know, faith people, miracle people. And we want to preach about, you know, miracles and power and, you know, and go for it and let's get whatever God's got and so on. But, you know, God's starting to speak to me this week about Ezekiel. And the more I've looked at Ezekiel, the more I've discovered that Ezekiel had something to teach us. And so what I want to share with you tonight is probably one of the most important things you ever need to know as a believer. The first most important thing is Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you. You got saved. You received that and you got saved. But then after that, you know, we get caught up with so many things. We get caught up with, you know, 17 steps to this and four steps to that and five steps to this and, and, and all this kind of thing. But there's something that is needful that very often we can go through years and years of being a Christian and never really know. A secret that Ezekiel discovered. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Ezekiel, a man who was in men's eyes a failure. A mega failure. He never did anything. Nobody wanted to listen to Ezekiel. They reckon he preached 30 years and 25 of those nobody listened. So what can we learn from Ezekiel? Well, I believe that we're going to learn some valuable lessons tonight from Ezekiel. Just pray with me. Father God, you know my heart's cry tonight. As we stood in worship there, I cried out to you, Lord. that will break the yoke, that will transport us from being people who know you as saviour. People that, Lord, you spoke about when you said, your lips worship me, but your hearts are far from me. Father God, we've been guilty of that. Help us tonight, Father, to find you 
in the way Ezekiel found you, as Lord of all. Help us, Lord, that those words that we sang in worship, help us to find them in truth, in reality, not just on our lips, but in our hearts and in our lives. Father God, just bring forth that word tonight. I yield myself to you. I ask you to do that work, that miracle. Change us, Lord. We're fed up playing church, Father God. We want to be like Jesus. Change us into his image. Help us to see him as he is, as Ezekiel began to see him. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I told you already, he didn't perform a single miracle. He didn't really do anything of note that we like to talk about because most of the stuff Ezekiel did was freaky. Most of the stuff Ezekiel did was weird. Most of the stuff Ezekiel did, the people of his day didn't want to talk about, let alone now. In fact, the only thing we want to talk about is the dry bones. That was just one little portion of Ezekiel's life. Ezekiel was a priest. He was a priest that was taken into Babylon. And you know that the, the nation of Israel was taken into Babylon and kept captive there. And Ezekiel was one of those that was taken into Babylon and kept captive. He was a priest and a priesthood, if you know anything about Jewish history, a priest came into his priesthood at age 30, just like Jesus. And at age 30, he would then take up his duties of a priest. Well, there was no temple for him to take up his duties in, in Babylon. There wasn't anywhere for Ezekiel to be a priest. So at age 30, God had other plans. He called him to be a prophet. There's a phrase that is used in Ezekiel that says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And we see that all the way through. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And that phrase in the Hebrew indicates a constraining spirit. Oh Lord, that we might have a constraining spirit upon us today. A constraining spirit, a spirit that pulled him in the direction that God wanted him to go. And very often, or most times throughout scripture, when that phrase was used, it indicated a prophet's ministry. Ezekiel entered into a prophet's ministry at age 30. But nobody wanted to listen to him. Let's just read a little bit. I want to read to you from verse 26 of the first chapter through to verse 3. We'll be kind of working from that. It says, And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone, and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. And he said to, unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. 
And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet. And I heard him that spake unto me and he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. Ezekiel was sent to a rebellious nation. That's what his mission was. God said, I'm sending you to a rebellious nation. The word nation in the Hebrew is actually the word nations. There's no such word as nation. It's nations. So God is saying, I'm sending you to a rebellious nations. Well, that's not good English, but it's good God. What he means is, I'm sending you to a people that should be one that should be a nation, that should be one because of the covenant. I'm sending you to a people that are not one. They're fragmented. They're going in all different ways. They're worshipping different gods. They're following their own plans and purposes. They're not following my will. He said, I'm sending you to be a voice to this nation, Ezekiel. And you know what? They're not going to listen to you. They're going to listen, they're just going to look at you and they're going to ridicule you, Ezekiel. But this is who I'm sending you to. Well, you know something? The church today or the world today is about as close to that as you can get. Here we are, the body of Christ. Supposedly one nation, united in the blood of Jesus, united at Calvary. And yet here we are fragmented. Well, you're not one of us. We do it this way. And I'm not one of you because you do it that way. You sing these songs and we don't like them. You speak in tongues and we don't like that. You believe in prosperity and we don't. We're fragmented. We are. The body of Christ today is just like the nation of Israel was in the days of Ezekiel. They were in Babylon. They were worshipping other gods. They were a nation within a nation. Just like the churches today. We're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of it. Well, they were in Babylon. But you know what happened when they were in Babylon? They started mingling with the Babylonians. And they started to, to mingle together and they started to intermarry. They started to mess around with Babylonians. And you know what happens when you start messing around with people that are outside the covenant? You know what happens? You start to move away from that which is right. The, the nation of Israel in the time of its captivity in Babylon moved away from the, the, the heart of God. They lost everything. They lost their language, even their very language. They came out of Babylon with a bastardization of their language called Aramaic, which is what Jesus spoke. It wasn't Hebrew. They couldn't even read their own laws. They had to have scribes to, to remember the laws and read them to them. They lost their culture. They lost their, the heart of God. They lost their worship. They lost everything except their laws. And the laws they kept because the scribes kept them and they kept them wrong. They lost everything because they were a nation within a nation and they were so fragmented that they didn't know what the truth was anymore. And they were the kind of people that Ezekiel came to. But Ezekiel, he was supposed to be a priest and in the first verse of the first chapter we see this. We see... Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, 
as I was among the captives by the river of Chebar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. You know what? It's almost like Ezekiel was saying here, I realized for the first time that I was a captive and that's where it all began. Here I was living free. You see, when we say captive, you have to take out of your brain the idea that he was locked up in Brixton or um, in um, what, Scrubs. Yes, I knew you'd know Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, I'm so innocent, you know, I don't know these names. But, uh, you know, we have to get rid of this concept, you know, because in those days what would happen is this. The nation that was going to war would go into a lesser nation and take from them the, the cream of the nation. The strongest men, the craftsmen, the intellectuals, all the, the people that really ran the nation. And they would remove them en masse out of their nation, transport them to another land and put them there. And they'd say, okay, you can just live, you know, and live your own lives and just get on with life. The only thing is, you can't move outside of these boundaries. This is where you're to be. Remember in Egypt, remember the, the children of Israel in Egypt, they had Goshan, that was the area that had been given to them. They lived in Goshan, and, the, and um, for a long time they lived there peacefully. And it was the same in Babylon. They had an area in Babylon where they, they lived, and they loved, and they married, and they intermarried, and they did all the things which regular people do so long as they didn't try to move out of that area because they were captives. So for the first time, Ezekiel recognizes his captivity. You see, he was free, but he wasn't free indeed. See, and there are many believers like that today. There are many people, you're free because you've been bought with a price. You're free because Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And when you receive the truth that Jesus shed his blood for you, when you receive the truth that he wanted to be your savior, you were made free. But there are many areas in your life where you're not free. There are many areas in my life where I'm still struggling to be free. And until you recognize the captivity that you're in, you can't get out of it. You see, all through life, there has to be a place where you recognize, I have a need. You can't get that need met until you recognize the need is there. And Ezekiel didn't even try to get out of his situation until he recognized, I am captive. Now, it was a spiritual truth as well as a physical truth for Ezekiel. He realized that he, there he was. Now, perhaps it was the fact that he was 30 years old. He was coming up ready to take his priesthood and he could not fulfill the priesthood because of his captivity. So he was faced with, why can I not do what I'm supposed to do? Because I'm a captive. Because something is holding me back here. Something is preventing me from fulfilling that which God has called me to do. Something is holding on to me. There's an area in my life that is in captivity. And many of you, and, and many of us, are in a situation where we are prevented from moving on in God because an area of our lives is holding us captive. Ezekiel came to that place. He almost came to the place like Jacob with the angel when he said, I'll not let you go till you bless me. 
It says, and then, see, it was only then when he found out he had a need. The next thing it says is, and I saw visions of God. Let me tell you, when you get to that place where you realize that you're in captivity, you need to see a vision of God. I'm not talking about a physical vision. I'm not talking about seeing bright lights. I'm saying, you've got to see God. You've got to see God like Ezekiel saw God. So many of us, we have a knowledge, we have a, a mental ascent. We, yes, we accept Jesus as our saviour. Yes, we move into things, we start worshipping, we start doing all these things, but we never see God. Until you see God, you will never move into what God has for you. Until you've seen the face of God. And I'm not talking spook stuff here. I'm not talking visions in the night. I'm not talking angels appearing at the bottom of your bed. You understand me here? I'm talking a knowledge, a knowing on the inside of you, a seeing of God, a vision of God for you. Let's look at Ezekiel's. We've read it already. Let's just look at some of the things that Ezekiel saw that we need to see. Because you know something? Ezekiel's life was a life that is an example to us. He didn't have any glory from men. Men ridiculed him. So many of us, we want accolades from men. We want to have our names on the front of brochures. We want to have our names up at conventions. We want our tape sales to be, you know, in the bookshop. We want people to know who we are. We want people to say, hey, you know, look at this ministry. Isn't it wonderful? Ezekiel didn't have any of that. Ezekiel was reviled of men. People looked at him. You know, there he is sitting in the street frying an egg, you know. And they said, oh, this is just crazy Ezekiel again. But this man did what God called him to do. The first thing I want you to notice that he saw was in verse 26 of chapter 1. <clears throat> the very last line, it says, the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. He saw God as a man. Until you see Jesus as a man, you can't go on. You need to know that Jesus was not here as God. He didn't come down to this earth as God. He didn't live as God. He didn't suffer as God and die as God and go into hell as God. He came as a man. The Bible says that he left his glory in heaven. He took upon himself the likeness of man. He came, and you need to see that. You need to see that Jesus was totally man. Totally man. Yes, he was totally God, but you've got to see him, you know, there's an old song, put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the waters. Yeah? You've got to put your hand in the hand of the man. You've got to understand that he was a man. He walked this earth as a man. He put off his glory. He was tempted in every way like as we are. You know, you can go through scripture after scripture after scripture. I'll give you a couple in a minute. But you've read them all. You know what I'm talking about. But we've got to come to really see him as a man. You see, you read the scripture and you say, oh yeah, Jesus was a man. And then we, we kind of sweep that away with, yes, but he was God as well. You've got to understand, Jesus was tempted just like we are. Jesus went through just the same kind of things we go through. 
Jesus understands where we're coming from. See, unless you can see Jesus as a man, you can't even begin to believe that he can understand what you're going through right now. Because until you see Jesus as a man, he's afar off. He's just God. He's way up there somewhere. Until you can recognize Jesus came as a man. He walked this earth as a man in the flesh. His flesh was just like your flesh. Sure, he was sinless. We know that. But he was tempted just the same way. And they were real temptations. We say, oh yeah, but he wasn't really tempted. Yes, he was. God isn't a liar. The Bible says he was tempted. If you understand the covenant, if you understand what the cup of wrath was that he drank, that he had to drink, when he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweat drops of blood and he said, if it were possible, take this cup from me. Do you think he wasn't tempted to throw in the whole thing? Of course he was. He was a man. He was tempted to throw it all up. I probably would have done. I'd have looked at us and I'd have thought, no, they ain't worth it. And, uh, it's true. But Jesus didn't. He looked at us and he said, yes, it's worth it. For the joy that was set before him, he suffered it. But he did it as a man. And until we can begin to really understand Jesus was a man, all through scriptures, I'll just give you some. You can write them down. Acts 2, 22. It says, Jesus was a man approved of God. Get a hold of this. Get a picture of him as a man. Get a vision of Jesus as the man Jesus because it's only as a man that we can, that we can really, he can really have empathy with what we're going through. In Romans 5.15, it says, by one man, one man, Jesus Christ. Do you know, Jesus is the, the humanity. Christ is the deity. When we talk about the word Jesus, we're talking the humanity. Jesus was his human name. Jesus was not his his deity. Christ is the deity. Jesus is the humanity. He's totally man. He's also totally God. But as a man, he understands what we're going through. It says in 1 Timothy 2.5 that there's one mediator, one mediator between God and man. The man, the man Christ Jesus. Not God man, the man Christ Jesus. And in Hebrews 4, turn with me to Hebrews a minute. Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews 4 it says that Jesus was touched. In first, verse uh, 15 it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He was our high priest, but he, was, he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The word infirmities doesn't mean sicknesses. It means our inability to produce results. That's what it means. Jesus knows what it's like to fail. It's no sin to fail. It's a sin to not try. It's no sin to fail. Jesus understands when we don't make it. He's been here. He's been tempted the same way we've been tempted. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 it says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. 
For it became him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, and in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath, hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honour than the house. Jesus was a man. He was touched with the feelings. He can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's a man. He walked this earth. He got tired just like you get tired. He could be he could be disappointed, just like we can be disappointed. He could be hurt, just like we can be hurt. He can grieve, just like we grieve. He understood what it was to lose friends and loved ones. He understood what it was to be in a situation where even his mother thought he'd flipped his lid and wanted to drag him off to the loony bin. It's true. His mother thought he was crazy. She wanted to send people to lock him up. His mother and brothers. His friends, they thought, you know, he got some kind of mania. People persecuted him the whole of his ministry. All of his life, he was a man. Ezekiel saw God as a man. And when he saw God as a man, it enabled him to recognize that everything that was coming, everything that was going to come in his life, God understood See, if you don't think God understands, you'll go from person to person to person trying to get someone to understand what you're going through. Instead of getting on your knees in the throne room, that's where the understanding is. Instead of getting before the God that knows how you feel. He knows how you feel. He knows what you're going through. He's been there before you. There's nothing that you can go through that he hasn't already been through. Nothing. Now, that helps me to understand. That helps me to cope with what comes my way. Because I see Jesus as a man. In the same verse, just a little bit above, it says, back in Hebrews, uh, Ezekiel, it says, as the appearance of a sapphire stone and upon the likeness of the throne. He saw the man on the throne. He saw the man on the throne. He saw Jesus. He saw God as king. You know, king means sovereign. Sovereign. 
And sovereign means the ability, the inbuilt ability and power and authority to do whatever it takes. Sovereign, able to do whatever it takes, inherent power. But he saw God as a Lord. He saw him as Lord. We sing about him as Lord. All the songs we sang tonight were sang about him as Lord. You're Lord. You're Lord. You're Lord of all. My soul says yes. Yes. Oh, God, what liars we are. It's true. Some areas he's Lord. But oh, how many areas he's not Lord. We don't even know what it means to be Lord. We sing Lord, and we mean somebody that's like an automatic cash machine. We put our cards in, and we expect it to, to produce what we need. That's what we think of as Lord. We think Lord is somebody that wants to do everything for us and answer all our prayers just the way we want them to. We think Lord means servant. The word Lord means master. Master. What does it mean? What does it mean to be master? It means supreme authority. Ruler. Let me tell you something. A servant doesn't ask his master why. A servant doesn't ask his master. He doesn't argue. He doesn't say, well, I don't like it this way. A servant doesn't do that. But we go to God, oh, Lord, why is this happening to me? Oh, Lord, why are you letting this happen to me? Why is this? Why that? I thought he was Lord. I thought he was Lord. <coughs> See, we call him Lord, but we want to be his Lord. It's time we saw him as Lord. See, unfortunately, we got a hold of some truths but you know what? You have to interpret this word in light of whatever, what other scriptures say on the same subject. You can't take a whole doctrine out of the Bible and live by it without you take the whole counsel of God. And what we've done is we've, we've seen God as the provider of all our needs. Yes, he is the provider, but he's also Lord. He's first of all Lord. First of all Lord. And that's what Ezekiel saw. Ezekiel saw him as Lord. He saw him as sovereign God. I'll give you a few examples. Okay, Ezekiel. Right, now I've given you this vision. Okay. You've seen me as Lord. Now then, this is what I want you to do, Ezekiel. I want you to prepare some food because you're going to need it, you know. I want you to get some food, things that aren't going to rot because, you know, it's got to be within easy reach of you because you are going to lie down on your side for 390 days and not say a word. And you can eat little bits as the day goes on. You put some water there ready and some food there and you just keep eating, you know, little bits as you go along. You don't have to fast, just eat, keep yourself happy. But I don't want you to say a word. I want you to lie on one side for 390 days and don't say anything. Just do it. Oh Lord, why have you left me here for three days all alone and you haven't spoken to me? 390 days! And then he said, and when the 390 days are up, Ezekiel, I want you to turn over onto the other side and lay on the other side for 40 days. And Ezekiel did it. That's lordship, folks. That's lordship. And we complain if God wants us to do anything out of the ordinary. 
you know. God wants us to talk about suffering. We don't know what suffering is. Lordship. If we would just understand what lordship means. Ezekiel didn't say, well, I don't feel like doing that, God. In fact, there's only one time in Ezekiel's life that he said no to God. And that was when God asked him to do something that was against the scripture. I don't know if he was testing him out. <laughs> but he said, I want you to cook your food on human dung. And Ezekiel said, no, I'm not going to do that, Lord. I've never done it before. I'm not going to do it now. And God said, okay, I moved on. But he had him do some very strange things. He had him do a bit of shadow boxing in the middle of the street. You know, it's true. You read Ezekiel. I bet you've only ever read about the dry bones, haven't you? Ezekiel did some weird stuff. Some weird stuff. But God told him to do it. You see, and he knew it was God because he met him in the throne room. See, he met him there. He knew it was God. And so he did it out of obedience. See, he found out that obedience is better than sacrifice. He found out that to obey God, it's better to obey God and do what God says than to, than to take your fate upon yourself. If you want him to be Lord, Lord says, Lordship says, whatever you want to do to me. Job Job understood what it was to have law, have him as Lord. Oh, we like to talk about Job. We like to talk about Job. Well, you know, Job, he feared, that which he has greatly feared has come upon him. Listen, God said, do it to Job. Job didn't bring it upon himself. The devil said, can I do it? God said, go ahead. God said it. That's freaked some of you out. But I'm telling you, God said it. There is nothing the devil can do to me that God don't let him do. Nothing. Because he's sovereign. And if he isn't, then that means the devil's got more power than he has. And I don't believe that. So I believe that everything the devil wants to do to me, he's got to put across God's desk. God has to say, yep, she can handle that. Stamp. And you know something? God will never allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able to bear without it gives you a way of escape. Lordship says, though he slay me, Yet will I trust. We think faith is, is punching the right numbers in the box. Faith is saying, I don't understand it, but I'm still here. I don't know why, Lord, but you are Lord. Faith is saying, Lord, you know, we hear a lot of faith preachers and we get, we pick up phrases which sound good, but we don't think them out very much, you know, and we, and we repeat them, you know. And when I say we, you know, I'm not using the royal we, I'm including me here, I've done it, you know. We pick up phrases and we repeat them because they sound good, you know. Yes, que sera, sera is the devil's song, whatever will be, will be. There is an element of truth in that. Yes, there is. But hey, there's also an element of truth in the fact that whatever will be, will be. If you have yielded to the lordship of Christ in your life, it will be. God will have his way. See, when you say, Lord, see, you, you need to be careful when you're singing these songs. We don't realize what we're doing. We say, Lord, Lord, change me. Lord, you're Lord of all. I say, yes, yes, definitely yes, be Lord. He says, right, huh. right, I know what you need. 
I know what it's going to take to get you from where you are to where you're supposed to be. I know what it's going to take to bring you to a place where you can fulfill the ministry that I have for you. I know what it's going to take. You're going to yield to my lordship. You're going to be unquestioning. You're going to be obedient. Fine. Let's do it. Let's go for it. So don't you pray, Lord, be Lord of my life, when you don't mean it. See, some of us, we don't mind him being Lord of one area. We just don't want him to be Lord of every area. You know, he's Lord of that which I've got in my pocket, but he's not Lord of that which is in my bank account. Huh? He might be Lord of my actions um, 20 hours of the day, but four hours of the day, you know, that's reserved for watching television. We all have things, areas which we haven't yielded to God, which we haven't said, if you want it, it's yours. See, and I'm not talking things. We think material. God doesn't think material things. Material things, they go, they come and they go. You know, it's nothing to God. I'm talking about our lives, things which are important to us. He needs to change the way we think. But what we do is we want God to put everything the way we want it. We want him to work things out for us. We've got to come to a place where we recognize his lordship, where we can say, whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever comes, I don't understand it. What can I learn from it? Instead of griping and groaning, let's say, Lord, teach me something in this. Teach me something. We all have opportunities. You know something? I would say that one of my best examples of learning how to deal with adversity is our pastor, Michael Bassett. I don't think I've ever met anybody that's taken so much stick from so many people in such a short time and so publicly. Huh? You know, I mean, I have seen him on the television put in a black chair with a light on him, you know, like Mastermind, except he wasn't Mastermind. It was one of these um, talk shows and there was, he was the only person on his side, right? And they brought in everybody else which he never got to meet. You normally get to mingle with the people, you know, mingle with the enemy, you know. I mean, I've been on these same shows, you know, and, and you get to mingle with the people that you're going to be against on the program. It's just normal. They kept him separate. They didn't let him mingle with people. They put him in a separate room. They brought him in. They put him in a chair, a black chair with a light on him. And the studio was filled with people, just like you. Right? Except they were all against the message that he preached, or that they thought he preached. Some of them were against him personally. Many of them were bitter people. And you know what? When they launched in, they attacked. Publicly, on BBC television, they attacked. You know? And you know what he did? Kept sweet. Just kept sweet. Just kept calm. They were getting mad. They were shouting. They were getting angry. They were yelling at him. They were throwing. They were getting some. Do you know what? When you get mad, when the devil lets you get mad, you say things which don't make any sense. That's true. And even people that didn't believe what he was saying were admiring him. You know, saying, this guy, you know, he's really keeping his cool here. He just kept sweet. They were throwing names at him and doing else. He just kept sweet. You know, just kept sweet. If you keep sweet, God will work. Because that's saying, Lord, you're, you're Lord. You're Lord in this situation. You're Lord. So we need to learn to let him be Lord in every situation. We've got to stop thinking that if we're right with God, see, we've got to stop equating spirituality with things. 
We've got to stop equating spirituality with having and with, you know, progressing. Ezekiel, 25 of 30 years, men hated him. 25 of 30 years, nobody listened to him. It would make me mad if I preached one night and nobody listened to me. I could not be an evangelist standing on the street corner. I've said this so many times. I admire evangelists. Evangelists always want to put everyone else under condemnation, though, if they're not out on the street corner. Have you noticed that? It's just being an evangelist. To an evangelist, their heart is so much for souls that they think everybody should be out there for souls. It's a good job I'm not. If I was out there on the street corner and people are walking past me and I'm trying to preach them, you know, I'd be tempted to lay hands without the anointing. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not an evangelist. I'm a teacher. So I want people that sit there and listen to me and take notes. I don't care if you argue with me, that's fine. I can stand arguments. But listen to me. You know, I mean, I'd be, I'd be saying, oi, oi, you, come here. I'm talking to you. You know, I mean, Ezekiel had 25 years where people did not listen to him. 25 years where he was just in obedience to God. And we complain if a month goes by and we don't understand what's happening. We complain if we don't see the end result. See, God sees the whole picture. We don't see the whole picture. See, we only see a little portion of the picture. Ezekiel saw the man as God. He saw him as God. He saw him as Lord. If we can't begin to see him as Lord, see, if we can begin to be in obedience, I mean, you know, I tell you, obedience is what Ezekiel learned to do. He learned to be in obedience. He learned to know Lord. The, the Bible tells us in so many places that he's Lord. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, you're not your own. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. The blood of Jesus paid for you. You know what? I said to somebody the other day, you know something? I mean, God's been really ministering this message to me so much in the last week or so. I said, you know what? God has the right to take me like an insect, like a bug, and throw me on the ground and tread on me. He has that right. He has that right. Hear me. He's got that right. If he's Lord, if he's Lord, he has that right. If he's Lord, he has the right over you. He could do with you. He can do with you anything he chooses to do with you. So what stops him? Hallelujah. He loves us. His promises. See what else Ezekiel saw here. It says, he saw as the appearance of the bow that was in the cloud in the day. Do you know what the bow is? The rainbow? It's the sign of the covenant that God made with Noah. It's a sign of promise. You know? When it's been raining and the rain stops and the sun comes out, the bow comes. And you look up at that bow and it does something to you, doesn't it? You know, you look at that, that rainbow in the sky and it's like a promise that the day, the rain's over, you know, the sun's coming. The promises of God. You know, it's the promises of God that make it easy to be obedient. Because he promises he's not going to take us like an insect and stomp on us. He promises, his promises say, everything I do for you, everything I do, I do it for you. I do it for you. Everything that I tell you to do, 
is for your good. Everything that every place I lead you into is for your good. You see, that's what faith is all about. Faith isn't confessing until it happens. That's not faith. That's an element of faith. Faith isn't, you know, isn't things. Faith is saying, no matter what, God is in control of my life. God is in control of my life. Everything that comes against me, God will turn all things for my good because he loves me. That's a promise. All things work together for my good. I've heard it preached. This means all good things work together for your good. All bad things can't. Rubbish! All things. Let's not put what's it not in there. He said all things. Good things, bad things, nice things, horrible things. He'll work them all for your good. Turn them around, even if it's your fault. So the devil say, ah, oh, yeah, that's true, but suppose it's your fault. Suppose you brought it on yourself. So what? God said he'll turn everything to your good. He'll make good out of it for you. He'll bring it round. That's his lordship for you. He'll make it right for you. And because we have that promise, we can live on that. We can live on that. We can hold on to that. We can say, yes, I don't mind what happens to me, Lord. I'll, I'll go through whatever it takes because I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to know you as Lord. So many of us, we know him as Saviour. We don't know him as Lord. We don't know him as Lord. We haven't got that vision of him. We haven't seen him face to face. We haven't come to a place where we've just wept because of our inadequacies. We spend so much time talking about how wonderful things are and how great we are and what conquerors we are. But sometimes we have to come to a place where we just sit down and see ourselves. Outside of Christ we are nothing. And it's only in Him that I can do all things. It's only in Him that I can be more than a conqueror. But it's also in Him. Being more than a conqueror doesn't always mean taking the wages after the box and knock somebody out. You know? That example we use. That doesn't always mean that. Being more than a conqueror sometimes means standing and standing and standing and saying, those who slay me, what will I do? I'm going to conquer this situation. I don't understand it. I don't know why I'm going through it. I don't know what God is doing. He's not explaining it to me. He doesn't have to. He's Lord. I just trust him. I know that his promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. I know that his promises... You know what the Bible tells us? God is not slack. He's not slack concerning his promises. He's not behind. He's not slow. He'll bring them right on time. It might not be your concept of time. Well, I always remember what Pat Bailey said, you know, don't rejoice when God says he's coming soon because, you know, a day with the Lord is just a thousand years, you know. But that's how we've got to be. We've got to recognize it is written. It will come to pass. But you know what? Until you know the one who wrote the promises, you can't stand on it. A lot of you are sitting in the premises instead of standing on the promises. You're coming into church to try and find what you should be finding on your knees. I had a vision of the Lord. You know Isaiah? That's what he said. I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. He's high in 
that she'd often his swearing of the temple. But the Lord. Until you can say, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And I'm not talking about experiences. You know that. Experiences are good. I've had one experience in my life that what I would say is a supernatural, was a supernatural visitation. I woke up in the middle of the night. I'd, I'd fallen asleep praying. I had, I'd been studying and I, and I was lying praying. My husband was in Northern Ireland at the time and, I, and I'd fallen asleep praying and I woke about 3 a.m. and <coughs> I think it was 3 a.m. I don't know what time it was. You know, it was, it was the dead of night. It was pitch black outside. I woke up and my room was filled with light. And I, I could hear singing, but it wasn't physical. And I knew it wasn't physical. And I knew I was getting a glimpse into the spirit realm. I was a baby in things of the spirit. I'd been saved a long time, but I'd only really just begun to come into spiritual history. And you know what I did? I did what I could, all I could do. I lifted up my hands and I worshipped. And the tears flowed down my face and I felt like God lifted me up off the bed and held me in his arms and I don't know how long it went on for I didn't really care it, it went just as easily as it arrived and I lay down and went back to sleep now I don't know if I was in the body or out of it as the foster Paul says you know what I'm saying I don't know if I was awake or asleep but I know I experienced it and that was as real to me as it is standing here I've never had that experience since. I've never looked for it. I didn't ask for it then. But I have, I have known the sweetness many, many, many times. Without seeing any bright lights, without hearing any angel voices, just of coming into his presence. I experienced it during worship tonight. I just came into his presence. And you know what? What happens when you come into a revelation of his lordship? I just, you know, I'm, I've told you before, I'm not a weeper. You know, really, I'm not an emotional person. I, I don't even like emotional creatures, you know. I don't. And, and yet, when I begin to think about the Lordship of Jesus, it does come inside of me. I stood there as we worshipped as tears ran down my face. You must get the upper arms with pretty Douglas, you know. This is, it's getting to be a habit here, you know. And, um, and I'll, you know, using the back of my hand here, it's not very dignified for a pastor, you know. But when I'm stood there, you know, I stood there and I was suddenly conscious of my inadequacy, you know, just how small I am and how big he is, how, how inadequate I am in myself to, to even begin to speak about the things of God. And yet, as, even as I know that, I know that as I allow him to be Lord in me, he'll be the one to energize, he'll be the one to bring forth the word. He's the one that brings the anointing. We don't even have to do that in our own strength. All we have to do is recognize him as Lord. Recognize him as Lord. Just feel his Lord. There's so many areas in our lives that we've held out from. We've called him Lord. But he isn't being Lord of those areas. Maybe it's financial. Maybe you haven't given him your, your bank account. Maybe it's your children. You haven't given him your children. You haven't said, I don't care what they do, Lord, as long as they're in your will. 
Because some of us, we have plans and purposes that are ours. Whereas it comes to a place where we give up those plans and purposes to do things. That's Lordship, when we can say, I relinquish my will. Jesus learned obedience in the Garden of Gethsemane. He learned it by being obedient to his Father, by choosing that which the flesh didn't want to do. The flesh didn't want to do it. His soul was crying out, no, not yet. But he, he made a decision. You see, when everything in you is crying out, no, like that song says, my soul says yes. Yes is a choice. It's a decision. It's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's a decision. Lord, whatever it takes. I know some of you, I know you want to go on with God. I know you want ministers. I know you want to be used by God. I know you want to affect your, your generation. Before you can, it's got to be Lord. You know something? You can't say no, Lord. You can't say no, Lord. That's two contradictory statements in one sentence. There's no such thing. It's either no or his Lord. If you say no, then he's not Lord. When he gives a command, it's yes, Lord. My soul says yes. My flesh cries no! But my soul says yes. Everything in me says no. Except that spark that's in me called spirit that hooks on to the Holy Spirit that says yes. This is the only way. It's the only way I'm ever going to be what you've designed me to be, what you've destined me to be. Stand to your feet with me. Because of his his promises, we can make him Lord. I want the band to come and begin to to sing he's Lord of all. But I'm going to pray. You know the areas that you have held back on. You know the areas that he's not Lord. I challenge you tonight. I challenge you. If you want him to reign supreme in your life, I challenge you as I pray. Just just, just open that up to him. Just confess him. You haven't been Lord in this area. I want you to be Lord. I relinquish it to you. You know, a prayer of relinquishment just says, not my will, but thy be done. Lord, it's not going to be easy. It's not easy to give up what you desire. It wasn't easy for Jesus. It sure wasn't easy for Ezekiel. But as we pray now, just release it to the Lord. That is, make him Lord of all. We sing, you're Lord of all. Let it be true as we sing. You're Lord of all. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we stand before you repentant, Father. We stand before you and we're conscious and there's things in our minds that we're lifting up to you right now. So we know you have to be Lord of these areas. We know, Lord, we've held something back from you. We've said, no, not your way, Lord, my way. I want it this way. This is how I think it should be. We're repenting right now. That means we're turning around. We're saying, Father, we yield those areas to you. Be Lord in those areas. Be Lord of every part of our lives. Oh, Lord, be Lord of all so that we can sing it as one voice. You are Lord of all. Oh, Father, we 
talking to me easy. Holy Spirit, you are the strength. By the, the Spirit of God, I speak strength and courage into this body. Courage to stand and say, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Be my Lord. Be Lord over every area of my life. Be Lord over my job. Be Lord over my leisure time. Be Lord over my mind. Be Lord over my eyes, what I look at. Be Lord over my mouth, those things that I say. Lord, be Lord over my actions. Be Lord over my, over my wallet, over my bank account. Be Lord over my family. Be Lord over my relationships. Be Lord in every area, every aspect of my life. Be Lord. Lord, we know it's not going to be easy. We know it's not easy. But Lord, we know it's worth it. Because it's only when you're Lord of all that you're really Lord at all. Be Lord. We just love you, Jesus. We love you. You're Lord of all. 